Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on July 31st, 2022. Pastor M. Dyes continues the Mark series with a gospel message from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37, titled, Throw a Dog a Bone.
Thank you for sending your son to save us. Thank you for sending your spirit to guide us, Lord. Today we ask that your spirit would fill this place, that it would fill our hearts, that you would change us to be more like you because we know that it is only through you that we can change, Lord. So help us just lay ourselves down today and pick you up when we walk out of church. Let us have our hearts full of you and empty ourselves of of our ego this morning, of our striving, of our desires, of our earthly wants. Let us only pray to you, Lord, because you are the only thing that can fill us up and give us lasting joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, good morning. How are we? How are we doing? We okay? All right. We've had rain, people. Woo! All right. Okay. Um, hey, well, you can see our renewal comes from Romans chapter 8, probably one of the, the deepest passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. You can spend a, man, you can spend a month, a year through this chapter. At the heart of it, it says this. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Have you felt that? I mean, the groaning, the, uh, just the brokenness of this creation. That's what it says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, uh, as we take a time of renewal, as we take a time of just silent prayer and confession this morning, um, it is, I think it is hard to go through a week if we are honest with our hearts and souls and life that, man, you feel, and we should feel this, right? There should be a longing. I mean, the trees are doing it. <laughs> you know, the creation is doing it. We're longing, we're eagerly longing for this creation to be restored. So, However, that's been in your heart this week. Of just, man, it's been just a trial, a pain, a suffering, a, maybe a sin that you've been battling. Um, let's just fall upon him in a time of silent prayer and confession, being honest with him. Let's just take, let's, let's take that time. Father, may we eagerly wait. Like, help us to be a body that is eager for your return. That we don't get comfortable here because this is not our home. And I just pray that, again, anything that we hold to this morning that you know, we, we try to make home in our life. We try to satisfy again. We just, we come here and we, can you just, Holy Spirit, can you just refix our days this morning? Please help us. Even, even as if I said this in the silent prayer confession and someone's just, 
Then you can take time, slow down, think, and you're worried about something later today or later this week. Could you just speak to them? Could you help them to slow down this morning? Can, can you just help us to understand that we, not, we don't play games here, but we're, we're in your presence? And we're in your presence, Father. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that we have all the hope in the world that we have redemption through your son, Jesus. And just continue to use this time that we need to our hearts surrender that you would do the miracle of faith in someone this morning. That they would get it. And just come. We're so thankful. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the assurance of our pardon is Colossians 1, 13-14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred. Everybody say transferred. Mm. And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's stand and let's sing in response.
And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. And Father, I just pray that I would handle it rightly. That Father, um, we come with our worship guide, we come with his uh, notes, and thank you that your spirit's in it. But Lord, also, if there's something that needs to be said that's not in my notes, that's not on the worship guide, just pray, Spirit, you will do it. This is your time. And I'm praying that we would get this this morning. We'd get what's here. Not just in our minds and hearts, we'd be captivated. It's in Jesus' name. Uh, so one of my heroes in the faith is a guy named Francis Chan. Um, and I... I thought I talked about this in my testimony once, but his book, Crazy Love, kind of changed the trajectory of my spiritual life. And it was a big springboard for my uh, being called into ministry, I believe. Well, um, kind of a long story, but I actually got selected to go to San Francisco uh, with uh, maybe seven other pastors to uh, see how he did his uh, church plant movement, um, how he was setting the church plant movement up, and I got to see how he was doing this, and I remember, like, the first night we were there in San Francisco, we went to this room, and we were with all of his elders, and there he comes, walking in with his hood up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Francis Chan. I had just, you know, my heart starts racing, and he comes, and he's sitting down with his elders, and it just felt like, oh, like, you know, little angel around his head or something, and just staring at him. And I'm like, the whole time, the whole meeting, like, I'm thinking, what am I going to say to him? What are the questions I'm going to ask? And I had a list. I mean, I was young in ministry. I was like 28, I don't know. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I was all vibrant, passionate. I was like, oh, I got to ask him all these things, all these things. And then it came my turn to pray in the prayer meeting. Oh my gosh. Whoo, ridiculous. You know, I was like, oh, it's my prayer. I got to really just pray. Chant is listening to my prayer. The worst way to pray, by the way. Don't ever pray. Like, that's not how we pray. Uh, but. Confession, I definitely was worried about what Francis Chan was thinking in that moment of my prayer. Um, and, and, and so then afterwards, though, the moment came. The moment came. Here he comes walking to me. One of his elders like, oh my gosh, he's going to introduce me. Again, whole list of things I wanted to ask him. Comes up, and they're like, hey, this is, this is Renan, so-and-so, Renan Dias. And the first thing Francis Chan said is like, Renan Dias? I was like, oh my gosh, he knows me. He's listening to my stuff. Like, this is crazy. I'm so nervous. No, he's just like, no, that's a cool name. I was like, yes, yes, that's so cool. Um, and, and, but I remember in that moment when he said that, all the things, I started getting super timid. Super, like, like, it was so weird. And I did not ask him. I didn't, like, the rest of the time I was there, I never approached him. I never went up and said, hey, here's my list of things I need to, to bring up, and I really want to talk to you. I just started losing boldness for something. The more I looked at him, the more closer I got to him, I was like, I just can't, I don't know why, I just, 
I don't want to bother him. He doesn't really care that much about this nobody from Hillsborough, Illinois. And I, I remember thinking about that and I, as I came to this passage because Jesus is showing us today. Jesus is showing us by these two stories of two ways, like, like he really wants us to approach him. And really, how do we how do we come to him? And because sometimes I think this is what we do. We approach Jesus kind of like I did with Francis Chan. We approach Jesus like, ah, he's kind of, we're annoying him, he's bugging him, and he's just too busy to think, and, or maybe he's just too distracted, he's not thinking, he's not really present. And, and I think we, we just miss it. I mean, how many of you in the Christian walk, um, following Jesus, have just felt sometimes like, man, where is my boldness? Like, I just feel not very bold at times. Kind of feel like maybe a little stagnant, and I, I need some boldness. Now, I want you to lean in today, because this is really interesting. As we dive through this, these texts, this is what I hope you see. One, I hope you see how we can actually really approach Jesus and that as you learn how we can approach him, as we can be come to him, and how these two stories, these amazing two stories, and how they approach Jesus, and, and, and the things we learn, I pray it, this is what it does. It stokes in you. It stokes in you um, boldness in your faith, and it also just, again, we've been asking this question, who is this Jesus? It will realign who Jesus is to you. You would get who Jesus is to you more this morning, and that way it would lead you into boldness. So, uh, only only two things, two observations, because there's, I mean, really the, the passage, chapter 7, 24 through 37, is really broke down into just two sections. This first story with this woman and this blind man. So, here's the first observation we, we can approach Jesus. We can approach Jesus with boldness. Sounds very vague, but we're going to dive into that a little more. So, look at verse 22. So, uh, Verse 20, 24, Jesus withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, that is not just um, some thrown-in detail. There's actually there's deep theological significance there. Because why? You're like, oh, it's Tyre and Sidon. It's, it's a big deal. It's another region. Uh, but this is actually northwest, okay, from the Sea of Galilee, which is a completely Gentile, immersed region. You're like, well, why is that a big deal? Well, Jonathan Edwards even says in his commentary on this passage, his tire probably represents the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could expect to encounter. Now, this is actually Tyre and Simon is even the actually place where Jezebel was from. And if you're like, yeah, I don't know who that is, you know, Old Testament. This is an Old Testament queen, okay, in 1 Kings. She was, she was a mean lady, all right? You, I mean, this is where she's from. And so this is a, not just a Gentile region, but the Jews, don't even know that this is extreme paganism place. And this is, and then look what the text says. He went there. <laughs> this is where Jesus is going. Then look, he entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know. Your parents feel like that? Oh my gosh, I gotta get away. Where's my children? And, and, and nope, he, he didn't want anyone to know. He's trying to retreat. He's actually trying, I believe, he's actually trying to get some more S tomorrow, but he, he's got divine appointments there. 
And Jesus always does. He goes somewhere, there's a divine appointment, and he wants to meet. And then, notice the text goes on, it says, he could not be hidden. Now, this is not the main point of the text, okay? But as a pastor, as someone who sits and you want, you want your heart just immersed and soaked into the text, I could just, man, I wanted to get up, kick something in my chair because I was like, yes, he could not be hidden. And I thought about, again, our culture. And I thought about, I started thinking, there's a lot of people that think they can hide Jesus. But you just look around and people are like, let's just hide Jesus. Let's just make his name a little less and a little less. And then I, I, I get into this, you know, this pessimism sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, it's so corrupt out here. Uh, and I'm like, no. You can't hide him. Jesus cannot be hidden. His revelation and his glory will go forth on the earth. You can't hide him. And so I, I just wanted to, this is the side again. Can, can we be a church? Can we be a church that, that knows that even with all the things going on in the culture, we can just be a church that has passion and know that, man, they're not hiding Jesus. Not hiding Jesus. Now, verse 25, here we go. We're introduced to this woman. And now, this woman uh, comes to Jesus and we're really learning how she's coming to her. So her daughter has an unclean spirit. And the text says, she fell at his feet and she begged him to cast a demon out. Um, and this is the, the first sign that we see in her boldness and how she is doing this. And so she comes in desperate need and she is crossing, by the way, she is biting this. She is crossing all of the cultural barriers that you would have, that would have been established in this this context because number one she was a woman again it's a different culture different time you know you didn't really women didn't really approach rabbis like this and and and, and you know literally um the pharisees when an unclean woman like this would, would come to a pharisee they would they would like wrap their cloaks around themselves and and they would call it holy bruises because they would literally wrap their cloaks around themselves and they would bump into things and get these bruises because they were like, oh, we're avoiding uh, these unclean people. So she was a woman. She was also from Tyre and Sidon, which I just said is completely pagan. She had an unclean daughter. And fourth, she rushed into the house. Now, people come barging in your house and be like, whoa, like, hey, hey uh, what you doing? In our culture, like that, but this and again, in this culture, a woman rushing into a house where Jesus is at would have been described unheard of, unashamedly just coming. And notice it says she is begging. Now that word begging is really interesting because in the Greek, it's this, it's this. Uh, this idea of the tense is being used as she's repeatedly asking. It's not that she just begged once. It's like she's pleading, pleading, pleading. And in Matthew, the parallel account, <laughs> the parallel account in Matthew 15 is she's pleading so much that the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, can you just send this woman away? Like she keeps begging and begging and can you just please hurry and send her away? Kind of like, you know, I, I thought about, again, persistent children. 
Hey, Dad, I got water. Dad, 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 water, 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 water. Yes, I will get you water. If you ask me for the 50th time, I'm not going to get you any more water. But, so it's like this idea of persistence. Just pers- she's being persistent, begging, pleading. And Jesus' response is like, is this in the Bible? Like, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you read this and you're like, whoa, hold it. Uh, makes me a little uncomfortable about Jesus' response. And, oh my goodness, commentaries on this, you could get lost, and this has been twisted and just distorted. Uh, how he how he responds. We're gonna, I'm going to give you uh, what I really believe is actually happening. This is what he says. Sir. He, he says, little children, he says, the little children, that's Israel, okay, that's that's the Jews, that's just to help you. Uh, the little children, be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, there's a couple uh, things we have to do immediately with, with this passage. And the first is less important, but it's important. That word dogs in the Greek. Okay, and every time a pastor says Greek, you're like, oh my gosh, just, is the Bible can't even trust what's there? Yes, uh, but it's really fascinating here. So dogs in this context, um, in, in, in the time the Bible was written, were nasty, just disgusting. They didn't really have to domesticate dogs very much, very much, hardly at all. Most of the dogs were those mangy, nasty dogs that were on the street. Like, oh my gosh, kids, don't pet them. Scary little dog. Um, but this Greek word is not that type of dog. Every time that, that dog is referred to, uh, it's a different Greek word than this word. It's a different Greek word. The times when, you know, the Jews would, would say to the Gentiles, oh, you guys are dogs. Again, it's a different Greek word that Jesus is using. The, the Greek word he's using here is more like domesticated dog. Literally, it could be traced like little puppy. So, domesticated dog helps it, softens the blow a little bit. But you still have to see that Jesus is creating a distinction between children of Israel and even a little dog. You call me a little dog, a little puppy. Like, ah. Doesn't really help that much. Like, so what is actually happening here is this is actually a parable. This is not a straight up direct statement. Je- what Jesus is doing, he is trying to test her. This is um, this is him trying to draw something out of her that he knows is already there. He's trying to test her faith and draw it out. And to, to help you, one uh, pastor I was listening to, he, was, he gave a good illustration of kind of what's happened here. Um, him, him and his boy went to his friend's house, and his, his friend had a jackalope uh, on, the, on the wall. Anybody know what a jackalope is? One person. Two people. Okay. It's okay to raise your hand in church. That one's going to strike down. All right. Um, so... Uh, a jack- jackalope is a mythical creature. Okay, it's a little jackrabbit with uh, ant- uh, antlers. You know, uh, it's not real. Okay, not real. Kids, not real. Uh, but uh, this, this, you know, this friend um, invited this pastor over with his son, and the son comes in and he's like, "Dad, what is that?" He's like, oh, "It's a jackalope." And he's like, "Is it real?" And the pastor is like, "No, it's not real." But why don't you, why don't you ask my friend if it's real? So he goes up to your friend, he's like, what is that? And the friend's like, oh, it's a jackalope. He said, is it real? He's like, well, the friend's like, does it look real? Uh, 
Uh, and the pastor's like, just answer him, man. Like, it's not real. Just tell him it's not real. He said, like, 30 questions later. It's like, you just add, well, what can you touch it? Is, you know, the antlers, the they look real. You know, 30, and, and to the point where the pastor's like, he started to believe, like, oh my gosh, jackalopes are real. These are real things. Like, huh? I didn't know. Like, and then, but all the while, at the very end, he finally, the boy comes to a conclusion. Oh yeah, they're not real. But all the while, this friend is trying to draw them out. And so Jesus drops this bomb. He's like, dog! As like a bomb to just draw out in her what he knows is there. This is a parable. This is a way of him saying, okay, so, and her response is, her response is so powerful. Matter of fact, her response is so powerful that Martin Luther, John Edwards, these giant, just massive brains, and you know, just these amazing men of the faith, they said that her response actually makes us believe that she she got the gospel. And they wrote forever in their commentaries on this one's response. This is what she says. She says, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that, yes, his primary mission at this moment, in this time of redemptive history, is coming for the Jews to, to restore the, the people of God. But you've got to see his full picture is every nation and every tongue. And so he's saying, I'm actually giving you a preview. I'm going to give you a teaser t trailer of what is to come. And, and it's all people. All people. And in the midst of that though, we have to see that her response um, actually just immediately, Jesus says, okay, your daughter's healed. He didn't even have to go to her. He didn't even have to, like, he just, your daughter's healed. And see, here's, here's what we need to see. Why this is so powerful in her approaching Jesus, how this applies to her life, in the context of chapter 7. Because remember, context is king, and we have to see what just happened. What did we talk about last week? We talked about the Pharisees. And listen, and they were considered those on the inside. Those who should have been closest to Jesus, knowing everything that he was doing, and those on the inside don't get it. Those who were technically should have been clean don't get it. And those on the outside, this woman, everything going against her are the ones who get it. And I think about that all the time. I actually, you know, Jesus, uh, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is about those on the outside, not those always on the inside. And, and he flips it. And those, and, and you've got to see something here. Notice, notice too that this is the first time someone actually gets a parable. The Pharisee, he's, he's, been, he's been telling fair, uh, parables to the Pharisees, to, to the disciples. They don't get it. This is the first time she gets it. Someone gets it. She recognizes who she is. She's self-aware and yet confident. 
and begging. Why? Because not because of, again, yes, she's self-aware, but by who she's standing in front of. And she knows she only needs a crumb. And that's all it takes, guys. It's just, well, this might sound, I'll take away this, but we just need crumbs. And we'll be completely satisfied. That's all we need. I love what Dan Orman said on this, and it's come through. He said this, are you coming to Jesus making the mistake of being polite? And then he says, honor him enough. Hold him in high enough esteem. Consider him a rugged enough savior that you can, you can throw everything at him. See, he wants, he desires this type of faith and boldness and coming to him. Literally, um, this woman is the, the New Testament representation, I believe, of Genesis 32, of, of Jacob wrestling with God. I mean, this really bizarre passage. It's amazing, but when you read it, he gets the name change in there. That's when he's called Israel. But you, you read the text, I mean, read it. Yourself, he's literally wrestling. He's like, I'm not gonna let you go. I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. Listen, I'm all about Jesus being uh, gentle and lowly at heart, and he's full of grace. But sometimes I think we have Jesus, and he's got these blue eyes and his long hair and his staff, and he's like, Oh, Jesus, I'm soft. No, that gentle and lowly does not mean Jesus is a wimp, he's not paper thin, he is. Oh, mighty, powerful God. And we can come, and I often think, do we come to him in our prayers? Even our prayers. With our prayers. Just think about your prayer life. And think, ah, you're, you're coming to him, kind of, oh, you just help me. You know, thank you for my food. It's great. Yes, you should thank you for food. But sometimes I'm like, are we throwing prayers at him? My real prayers. Like, Jesus, if you don't come through in this moment, you've got to come through. We throw everything at it because that's how we can approach him. And I want you to notice one other thing. And we'll move on. If this woman would have responded, okay, so he calls her a dog, and then she was, oh my gosh, how dare you? How dare you call me a dog? And then runs away. Guess what? You probably never would have heard of her again. Maybe you would have the scripture. I don't know. But you probably never would have heard of her. And here's the thing. If we come to God, like, oh, you owe me? Come on, God. Like, you owe, you owe, owe, owe me? We'll miss it every time. She's given us a window again of how we approach it. Help. Self-aware, like, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I'm in your presence. I'm throwing it all on you. I'm begging you. I'm not going to leave. It's before. Just that's the type of faith. That persistent, Jesus, you're here. You've got to come through. You've got to come through. Type of faith that stirs in us boldness. And the second thing, the second story, we can approach Jesus knowing he meets us where we're at and makes all things new. He meets us where we're at and makes all things new. So I, this is again. Uh, moving on, verse 31, Jesus is back in the area of the Decapolis, and that's still a Gentile region, okay? 
And, and, and they, circle that in your Bible if you highlight, and they, these are these, some scholars think they're friends or family, they, they bring this man to Jesus. Now this is again the side. But again, that, those two words captivate. And they brought them to Jesus. Listen, again, can we just realize this is our mission? If we're filled with the power of the Spirit and we're knowing Jesus, this is why we're here in Macon. We're going to say, how many people can we bring to Jesus? So that means we open our homes. That means we step out of faith that little coffee house when your heart's stirring and you're thinking, I need to talk to that person or just step out. That means that you're being bold with your family members and you're praying, you're on your face praying for them. If they don't know Jesus, this, if you know, if you're following Jesus, God, here, here it is. We bring people to Jesus. We keep trying to bring people to Jesus. And so that's what they did. They brought this man to Jesus. They brought him, this deaf man, had a speech impediment. And then again, they begged him. That's a theme in chapter, in this section. Begging, pleading, and persistence in faith. And notice, again, verse 33, notice Jesus meets this man right where he is at. Right where he is at. Because he takes him away privately. And I thought about that. Why is he taking him away privately? Again, a deaf speech impediment, mute, spitting everywhere. It would have been, he would have been a spectacle. He would have been considered unclean again. He would have been considered like, oh my gosh, like outcast, get away from us. So Jesus is like, you're not a spectacle for me. Let, me. let me draw you away privately. Let me meet you in the quiet and meet moment right now, face to face. Let's do something in your life. So spectacular, and it gets crazy again. You're like, man, this is so strange. I mean, read the text. He put his fingers into his ears, like wet willy. Okay, here we go. No, that's not true, kids. Jesus did not give anybody wet willy, but he put his, put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. What are you doing? And looking up to heaven, sighed, and he said, Be open. And he was healed. Now, Jesus is doing two things here. It's really important to get. Number one is less important, but it's important. Jesus is physical. He <laughs> was a youth, and he was emphasizing touch. I mean, again, the love language thing, you know, some of us like touch, some of us not so much like touch, but we all need touch at some point. We did, we, we, you know, babies, they, they need touched. Okay, when he touched Jesus is getting intimate, he's, he's, he's showing that, yeah, I'm a savior, that I'm going to touch the unclean person that everyone doesn't want to touch, I'm going to touch. But more importantly, this is what he's doing. He's communicating to the deaf man how he would have heard this miracle. He's not doing what some scholars say, you know, he's trying to do some magic show and he needed to do this in order to be healed. No, he's not on America's Got Talent, he didn't need to do that. He didn't even do that. He couldn't, I mean, the, we just saw that because the, the, the unclean daughter was healed immediately like that. Jesus wasn't even there. He didn't mean to do it. Why did he do it? Again, this is, he's doing sign language here. If you're like, what? I mean, you got to see, this is, I mean, I dove into this. I read a lot. I 
this is this is what he's doing. He's communicating to this man that he wouldn't know. For example, I mean, look at him. He's grabs his ears, puts his fingers, he's like, yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to heal this. And then he spits and wraps his tongue. Because, again, someone with speech better like that would have been drooling masses like that, that spit, that stuff, that tongue, I'm about to, I'm about to heal that. And the man's probably like, okay, where's the power coming from? That's when Jesus looks up to heaven, sighs, and says, okay, this is, this is where it's coming from. And then notice the first words he would have heard, be open. And I thought, wow, look at, look at the way Jesus is meeting this man right in the spaces of his Right in the, the, the midst of his greatest need, that's where Jesus is at. And folks, that's where he's at with us. Laying awake at 12:30, 1 o'clock, you can't go to bed, your head's racing, thinking, heart pounding, how in the world? That's where Jesus lives. Kids, you're going back to school, you're Walk into your locker and you feel all alone, and you're sitting at the table and you're like all alone in the private meetings. Like, ah, oh, that's where Jesus lives. He comes to us in the moments of greatest need. That's what our Savior does, and He meets us and communicates with ways that we understand in our personal way. Listen to any testimony of the faith; you hear that. But I gotta show you one thing in the close here that is so profound of the idea that he meets us where he, where we're at, but he also makes all things new. That word speech impediment happens one time in the New Testament in the Greek, and one time in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament version of the Old Testament. One time. So it happens here, but then it also happens in Isaiah 35, 6. And this is fascinating. Because in Isaiah 35, 6, this is what it says. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute, same word, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And I know we just read one verse of it. Like, hey, what's the whole chapter about? The whole chapter is about the idea that the Messiah, when he comes, he is, he's going to institute a whole new kingdom. He's bringing, he's bringing redemption and renewal to the whole kingdom, to the whole humanity. And so this is where I think we get mixed up sometimes. A lot of us think um, that the Christian walk is, yes, Jesus forgives me of my sins. And absolutely, it's that. Amen to that. That's what we want. Yeah, amen. But even more, Jesus is redeeming creation and true humanity. And you've got to see that what he is doing in these two stories is yes, he's meeting them. Yes, he's seeing their faith. Yes, but he is bringing, he's giving them their humanity back the way that it was supposed to be. 
You weren't supposed to be mute. You weren't supposed to be having an unclean spirit. And so when Jesus comes to institute his kingdom, and even now as we long and wait for him, that's what that, that Romans 8 passage is all about. It's an eager wait that this creation is going to be restored and renewed. And to help you with that, I'm going to close with an illustration. So if you were, let's say you were walking into a house, okay, you're walking into a house, and uh, where there's a four-year-old who loves his dad. No four-year-old. Whew, four-year-olds. Can't get an amen. Um, but he loves his dad, and in the moment of loving his dad, I just love my dad. He's like, I'm going to go into the garage, and I'm going to get dad's paints. And I'm going to, I'm going to go and to the room, my room, and I'm going to improve on the room. My room. So no plastic. He gets none of that plastic. Lays the plastic down. Okay, he's, he, he gets none of the blue tape, painter's tape. Who really uses that anyway? Like, come on. Use the painter's tape. Just, just, just okay. So he, none of that. And he starts improving on the room. Now, what do you think when the dad comes home, okay, what do you think his response is going to be when he opens that door and sees that? If he's anything like me, he's <laughs> going to lose it. going to lose his mind. What are you doing? Oh my gosh, you ruined the carpet. This is the... We live in a parsonage site. We're going to get fired. <laughs> but what does a good dad do? What does actually... What is a great dad? What if, what if, what if the dad walked in and continued the job and redeemed, reversed, and made a final, beautiful, tasteful, multicolored walls of the room that turned something that was a complete mess, a complete dis- just disarray, into something beautiful? Listen, folks, that's what our God is in the business of doing. Your mess now, color, your mess, the way you think in a mess now, will be a part of your final beauty in being completely restored in Christ. If you're in Christ and you come pleading to Him, he won't turn you away. He will make the darkness make a mess and redeem it. And why? It's because he is why. In a real way. Jesus became the dog. Jesus became the outsider. Jesus came to be rejected on the cross so that you and I could say, hey, let's feast at the table. So you and I put by putting faith in him because he's redeemed and restored, he's forgiving you, and now he's going to start redeeming and restoring you. Now you can say, oh man, I once was on that side, but I am rejoicing because I was making a mess, and I was just making a mess of my life, and now I can see the way he is even it and orchestrating it and redeeming it. And then one day you'll finally look back and be like, I never got why that happened on me. 
Come in, it's been completely healed and restored because Jesus doesn't just come and forgive you of your sins, but completely restore humanity in the All of creation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the fact that you are a redeeming, restoring God. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you like this morning. I invite you, I just pray that you come to you. We come that would just increase in us fullness, increase in us a, a need to throw everything up, not to be unashamed, but just come more with every part of our lives. And Holy Spirit, if you've been working on someone's heart and they've been saying, I want to put faith and trust in you, I, I want to be saved of my sin, I pray that Holy Spirit, whatever ways you give them to respond to the truth, the truth that they are a sinner who cannot save themselves, but Jesus, you are God's Son who died on that cross to redeem them of their sin. I just pray that, the Lord, you, however you want to give it to them, in this moment, Holy Spirit, they would put faith, they would lean, they would trust, they would call out to you while the rest of us pray and plead for those who are far from you. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, if anybody is leaning in, the Spirit's working on it, and they're trusting you, again, help them to share that with someone. Help them to, that's nothing to be ashamed of, but they would be unashamed of that, and they would be able to tell so we can pray and help disciple them. And Lord, help us to be able to let yourself bring to people to you. Those people that may be brought to our minds, just help us. Let the power of your Spirit bring people to you. Turn down to a time of tithes and offering, and you can see the passage there, Deuteronomy 8 17 through 18. It says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you ability to produce wealth. So, uh, again, I, I say, read the. Um, if your heart is uh, stirred to give in a response to worship, it is a way of worship. Um, there's a black box on the back as you exit the sanctuary. Ways to give online. I encourage you to do so um, to the glory and the fame of His name. Um, so, if you were to stand as we sing our final song, Dominus.
So let's go this week. Honoring Christ enough. Honoring Him enough. That we can approach Him with complete boldness, throwing everything out. Because He is a big enough Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.